It's the Code St. Luke podcast, where you'll hear interesting topics and people brought together through the Code St. Luke Public Library. Hello, my name is Davika Eifert. I'm the author of a recently published book, From the Ashes of War. It's a memoir, a project I engaged in off and on for about 15 years while working as a psychotherapist in private practice. Friends and others who heard bits of my life story would say, you've had such an unusual and interesting life, you should write a book about it. I also heard many people lament that they wished their parents had written about their history before it became too late. So this project of writing stories about my life slowly evolved into a book at first intended as a kind of legacy I might leave for my children, an extended family. But those with whom I shared parts of it strongly encouraged me to make it more widely available, saying it went far beyond being just a family history. I struggled with it, trying out one version after another. But last year, 2020, I decided I really must finish this book before I would turn 80 in November, and I did, and have been blown away by all the positive responses to it. So now you know that the memoir is written from the perspective of someone in the last stage of life, whom in our society we usually call senior, which I don't consider a suitable label. I prefer Eric Erickson's view in his book Childhood and Society, He was a psychologist and psychoanalyst famous for outlining eight psychosocial stages of human development. He called this last stage, beginning at age 65, maturity. Hey, wouldn't we rather be called mature than merely senior? This eighth stage called maturity, Erickson described as a time that is rich in potential for developing a sense of integration and wholeness a sense of completeness, an acceptance of one's life as it is and oneself as one is. Writing the memoir gave me an opportunity to do just that. For when I looked at the wholeness of my life rather than all its separate stories, and then put that in its larger context historically and geographically, a wonderful sense of completeness and acceptance did indeed happen. Erickson further stated that this is a fertile stage of life in which to reflect back and find some meaningful narrative threads to one's life as a whole. One such narrative thread in the writing of my life story turned out to be my relationship with my mother. Looking at how she repeatedly turned up in my stories gave me an unusual, somewhat playful structure within which to write the final version. You can get an idea of this as I read the following from the back cover of the book. I read, In the memoir From the Ashes of War, the author tells a series of stories from her life, extending from the terrifying traumas of a war child in Poland during World War II, all the way to the inner peace and gratitude of an 80-year-old woman mother, and psychotherapist in Canada. The stories, both heart-wrenching and heartwarming, are imaginatively written as if 
in the presence of her dead mother, whom she has invited to participate in the book. The mother's voice is interwoven throughout the storytelling, with the effect that the reader is as if listening in on their conversations and reflections, which are presented from the perspective of seeing the old stories with new eyes. End of quote. The title, From the Ashes of War, refers indirectly to the mythical phoenix bird, which repeatedly dies in flames and is reborn from the ashes, a symbol of renewal and resurrection. The book has a map showing the places I've lived, and in the back, ten pages of photographs. It's divided into three parts, war and aftermath, learning to love, and loving life. As these titles suggest, the horrors of war experiences lived in early life are not over when the war ends, but produce consequences in the psyche, in the personality, like lack of trust, for example, which must then be learned or relearned in healing positive experiences and relationships. I was fortunate that the right people were as if airdropped into my life, at times when I needed it most. And, with my interest and later profession in psychology, I also deliberately worked at understanding and healing those consequences of a traumatic childhood, and described that in the book, that process in the book. The war and aftermath part begins with a prologue, in which I have an imaginary conversation with my illiterate dead mother, from whom I was estranged for more than half my life. I invite her to participate in the book by commenting any time she wants to, her words to be written in italics. She agrees. Then it starts out not with my birth during the war, but with a bombing in Montreal just behind our backyard during the FLQ crisis. How ironic, yet appropriate, that in all of peaceful Canada, I ended up moving to exactly that place and time where most unusually and briefly bombing was taking place. I was 28 and had recently moved there with my husband and four young children. The whole house shook, the windows rattled, and my husband's hair stood on end. But I acted as if nothing unusual had happened. Only later did I realize that my very lack of reaction was totally abnormal and must relate to my early life in which I'd experienced perhaps hundreds of bombings. That event stirred up hidden insecurities. I began to have repeated dreams about enemies chasing me, for example, and noticing a stress response in my body at the sound of low-flying planes. But, as a budding psychologist, it also made me curious about my early life, which had not been talked about. During the war in Poland, a year of slave labor on a farm in Germany, and seven years in Denmark, which included several refugee camps, as well as five years as a foster child with an older Danish couple. Stories from that time is what part one is about. I wanted to understand what it must be like to be a war child and what effects that must have had on my development and personality. So I read eagerly about that time and place in history. One book was especially helpful, 
Richard Lucas's Forgotten Holocaust, Poles Under German Occupation from 1939 to 1944. The Jewish Holocaust has been well and deservedly documented, but not so that of Gentile Poles. Our family was not Jewish, but neither did we belong to the 98% of Poles who were and still are Roman Catholic. We were Protestant, and that made our treatment by the Nazis significantly different. My family didn't want to talk about the war. They said I was lucky to have been too young to remember, so I shouldn't ask. They thought of remembering like, I remember that trip, as something one can voluntarily bring to mind. However, in the book, I describe how my most traumatic memories arose viscerally in the body. I'm going to read an example of that from the section called A Dead Horse and Lab Rats. It will also give you an idea of how my mother's voice comes in from time to time. I quote, For me, memories of war experiences emerged in different ways. Most of the time, I didn't look for them. I find it fascinating the way memory retrieval works. For example, I would never have thought of connecting laboratory rats in the present with a dead horse in the past. But that memory flashed into my mind like a scene suddenly visible in a lightning storm on a dark night. I saw it in my mind 30 years after it happened. Mama's voice comes in here. I pushed the whole wartime out of my memory. I never wanted to remember any of it. Of course, I had no idea it affected me anyway. I had no idea that memories stay in the brain, body, thoughts, and emotions without me knowing it. And I would not have known what to do about it even if I had known. But you were always interested in what makes humans behave and think the way they do. I remember I got upset when you told us about the dead horse in the war and the connection to you working with rats. I thought working with rats was crazy. You, my own daughter, were a complete mystery to me. You said you learned with those rats about how the brain gets trained without our even knowing it. But you want to tell the story to show the way forgotten memories can suddenly pop out. So go ahead. I was 35, newly separated, in graduate school, a teaching assistant in experimental psychology, and now this sudden phobia. For the hundredth time, I gingerly moved my hand toward the lab rat. Index finger under the throat, thumb behind the neck, palm under the belly. You were doing it a week ago. Just do it. Just do it. I coached myself through chattering teeth. But again, my hand froze above the moving fur. I can't. With exasperated tears, I finally closed the door on the multitude of cages in Concordia's psychology department's animal room. The evening darkness hid my tears as I stood waiting at the bus stop to go home to my children, late, defeated again, and still mystified. It couldn't be a fear of the rats, I reasoned. When someone put one in my hand, it looked cute, and I could let it walk all over me. I had been able to pick them up just two weeks ago. I carefully imagined the whole precise sequence of the dreaded act. 
trying desperately to identify the cause of the unreasonable fear. Yes, that's it. It was the sensation of soft, squishy belly moving against my palm. That's the part that was so frightful. In a flash, the memory of that same repulsive sensation was not just in my palm, but in my entire shivering body. I felt myself a very young child, beyond exhaustion, yet hurrying from some horrible danger, surrounded by chaos and mind-murdering sounds of fighter planes and bombs. We were stopped in flight by a narrow, shallow, ice-cold stream. A dead horse was lying lengthwise across it, like an organic bridge. My whole being was helplessly resisting, in total revulsion, as someone suddenly picked me up and placed my feet on the hind part of the horse's fresh corpse. "'Come, hurry!' shouted a frenzied voice, blending into the shrieking sounds of air battle as a hand reached out for me from the other side. It looked an impossible distance away. It would have taken several steps for a four-year-old to walk from tail to head on the side of that horse, the memory of the kinesthetic sensation of gliding dead flesh under my feet was more vivid than the visual image. The living, moving, furry flesh of a, fra- of a rat's belly in my palm must have triggered that traumatic sensory memory associated with loathing and terror in childhood. The method of picking up lab rats is designed to prevent the danger of the rat biting your hand. The common elements in the two vastly different situations were those particular sensations and the need to avoid danger, though obviously the rat situation was much less intense than the childhood war trauma. I felt sure I never heard that story from my family. Could it be true? Or was my imagination running amok, trying to solve my sudden rat phobia? Oh, yes. I forgot about that. It really did happen, said my sister Freja when I phoned to reality check my image. I was instantly relieved that my mind was not making up weird stories to account for my irrational behavior. There was a horrible air raid going on and we were running for shelter, she continued. It was the end of winter and Mama didn't want us to get wet and freeze or to ruin the only worn-out shoes we had. End of reading. The story I just read is an example of two aspects of the book which many readers have found engaging and novel. This interweaving of both my mother's dead voice and the psychological interpretations within the stories. The latter comes naturally to me after 40 years as a psychotherapist, of listening to thousands of other people's stories. Part two, learning to love, begins with leaving my Danish foster parents and rejoining my Polish family to emigrate to Canada. This country, sometimes described as a melting pot of people from all over the world, who must experience the challenges of immigrant life. Many can therefore identify with the difficulties of learning a new language, struggling with making a living, with having some kind of identity while trying to fit in, yet inwardly feeling very different from others. In my case, I had been a Polish child with my family, 
a Danish girl with my foster parents, and was determined to become a Canadian teenager as fast as possible. I had much help from people outside my chaotic immigrant family life. Reading voraciously expanded my mind beyond my own experience in a small town, and exposure to religion and spirituality gave comfort and developed faith in something beyond myself. Raising four children taught me to love and care for others. In part three, Loving Life, I write about several healing the past experiences, unusual adventures I take myself on, visits with my mother that changed our relationship, a transformational experience that led me to study and teach yoga, the deaths and funerals of my mother and siblings that left me the last one born in Poland. Feedback from readers has been a delight. The most frequent along the lines of, it was so engaging I couldn't stop reading. Also satisfying have been comments like, it's so rich with reflections about the psyche, it's so full of humanity, an amazing journey of adventure, courage, sorrow, suffering, love, and kindness. In conclusion, I wish you well in your body, the peace that passes understanding in your heart and mind, especially in these times of uncertainty and turmoil, and that you enjoy reading from the bounty of our wonderful library. Devika Eifert, author of From the Ashes of War. Thank you for listening to the Code St. Luke podcast today. We launched the podcast and telephone broadcasting service in March 2020. The idea was to get content from Parks and Recreation and the library into your homes using Zoom, telephone, and podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating and review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. For more information about programs at the library, visit csllibrary.org. For information about the city of Code St. Luke, visit CodeStLuke.org. Have a great day.